this is week three in our series of looking at the value of a Christ-like character. And I want to say thank you to Pastor Barry for kicking us off in week one, doing an extraordinary job looking at the life of Nicodemus. Last week, Pastors Lori and Rhonda did also to a fabulous job uh, looking at the value of character as we honored honored women as we honored the moms in our lives on Mother's Day. And so right now in the chat, can everybody put their hands up? Because last Sunday, we had five people give their lives to Christ. And so as a church, whether you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, or on our lifecenter.org page, can we just all celebrate in the chat together? A little hands up emoji because five people gave their lives to Jesus. And so thank you, uh, Pastor Barry. Thank you, absolutely, Pastors Rhonda and Lori. And then come on, five people gave their lives to Christ last week. That's worthy of celebration. And so the value that we're looking at in our Carriers of the Heart series in this month, the month of May, is that character, Christ-like character is what we're looking at. And here's what we mean when we say character. Character comes before gifting. Our character isn't value neutral. How we live and how we love and how we lead, it matters. Gifting is good and purpose It does have its place, but Christ-like character, it stands above all those things. And so as I mentioned a moment ago, last week, pastors Rhonda and Lori, they looked at the life of Abigail. And now we're going to look at her husband, David, and the family that she married into, which was really quite a family. You know, one of the things that I want to talk about this morning, or today, I should say, because some of you are watching it tonight at five, um, but one of the things that I want to talk about is just simply how there are no perfect people. And there's this paradox of character, which is that the more you get to know someone, the more you see not only the good, but the imperfect. The more you see the inadequacies and the insecurities. And there's a pastor that I admire. His name is John Ortberg. He wrote a book called um, There's No Such... Everyone's Normal. Sorry. The book is called Everyone is Normal Until You Get to Know Them. And it's a little bit of the paradox. And so today, if you're here and you're a student, I want you to lean in. Because you're with your parents a lot and you're seeing maybe not only their good stuff, but their not so good stuff. You know, for parents, you're looking at your students. Maybe you're seeing, again, same thing, good stuff and not so good stuff. Could be husbands and wives or generations working together as we look at political leaders. You know, we're living in a time and a season, again, where we have such proximity to certain people that we can begin to see um, them in a disproportionate way. You know, we're also living in a time where there is so much content that is being produced, but oftentimes so little power being seen or being evident. And I believe there's this little prophetic whisper that I'm chasing that could it be that an area that God is trying to address in our lives, but also in the church, is how we view lines of authority? Because all through Scripture, Where there's healthy lines of authority, there isn't just content that's produced, but there's the power of God that begins to flow. I'm not talking about authoritarianism or silly things like that, but just a clarity of authority. So again, we want to talk about some of these things this morning. Because the challenge is, again, when I talk about authority or we talk about people, once again, the more you get to know them, the more you're going to see their imperfections. And here's what's true of all of us. None of us have perfect Christ-like character. doesn't matter how long or how little you've been following Jesus. None of us have perfect Christ-like character, which means that we're all a work in progress. We are all growing to be more like Jesus. So again, not all of us, we're not all on the same part of the journey but we should all be embracing this with humility, saying, Holy Spirit, today speak to our hearts and change our lives. 
Because today, in the story that we're going to look at, there is something that each of us faces, and it is this. Character is about doing right, not doing it only when it rightly serves us. Character is about doing right, not doing it only when it rightly serves us. It's about living by something different than circumstances, something better. So in our story, David has been king of Israel for many years, and he has a son named Absalom. And Absalom then begins to become power hungry. He wants to steal the throne from his father. And he uses the position that he's inherited. So if you know anything about David's life, he's anointed as a king, as a young, young man. But then his life goes through tremendous trials. And one day after trial, after trial, after trial, after trial, he's then ready to step in to the position of king. Well, his son Absalom has not gone through the same trials, the same testing. He simply is in the family of the king, in the lineage of the king, simply by birthright. So again, David, David's gone through testing. Absalom, not yet. He's there by position. And because he's there by position, his character's not yet been formed in the same way that David's has been formed. And so 2 Samuel chapter 15 is the text that we're looking at because it shows how he's going to take, Absalom is going to take his position once again. And the scripture says that Absalom, again, who's not been tested, whose character is different, but based on the things that his father's done, he now slides in and he begins to steal the heart of the people away from his father, David. And it starts with simply sowing disunity. You know, all disunity is are two competing visions. That's it. Disunity is oftentimes just two competing visions. It doesn't have to be only good or bad, but they just begin to compete. So Absalom begins to sow disunity. 2 Samuel chapter 15, and in today, I'd love for our students to read it. So students, take it away. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot of horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. After four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill the vow I made to him. Your servant was at Geshur in Aram. I promised to sacrifice to the Lord in Hebron if he would bring me back to Jerusalem. All right, the king told him, go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron. But while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, the message read, you are to say, Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Galanite, David's counselor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. Soon many others joined Absalom and the conspiracy gained momentum. 
a messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, All Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon the city to the sword. We are with you, his advisors replied. Do what you think is best. So the king and all his household set out at once. He left no one behind except ten of his concubines to look after the palace. The king and all his people set on foot, pausing at the last house to let all the king's men move past to lead the way. There were six hundred men from Gath who had come with David along with the king's bodyguard. Then the king turned and said to Atai, a leader from men of from Gath, Why are you coming with us? Go back to the king of Absalom. For you are a guest in Israel, a foreigner in exile. You arrived only recently, and should I force you today to wander with us? I don't even know where we will go. Go on back and take your kinsmen with you, and may the Lord show you his unfailing love and faithfulness. But Itai said to the king, I vow by the Lord, by your own life, that I will go wherever my lord the king goes, no matter what happens, whether it means life or death. David said to Itai, Go ahead, march on. So Itai the Gidi marched on with all his men and the families that were with him. Everyone cried loudly as the king and his followers passed by. They crossed the Kingdon Valley and they went towards the wilderness. Sidok and all the Levites also came along, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abiathar offered sacrifices until everyone had passed out of the city. Then the king instructed Zadok to take the Ark of God back into the city. If the Lord sees fit, David said, he will bring me back to see the Ark and the tabernacle again. But if he is through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. The king also told Zadok the priest, Look, here's my plan. You and Abiathar should return quietly to the city with your son Ahimez and Abiathar's son Jonathan. I will stop at the shallows of the Jordan River and wait there for a report from you. So Zadok and Abiathar took the Ark of God back to the city and stayed there. So David walked up the road to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and his feet were bare as a sign of mourning. And the people who were with him covered their heads and wept as they climbed the hill. Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Thanks for reading it through. So let's talk about what our students just read. I'm going to draw you right back to 2 Samuel 15, verse 4, and this is what it says. It says, then Absalom would say, so all the people would come to the, the palace. Absalom is there by position, just remember, okay? His character's not been tested. David's has, his hasn't, um, in the same way, I should say. And so all the people are coming, and watch how Absalom just begins to sow disunity. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 4 says that Absalom would then say to the people, because David wasn't present, he would say, oh, that I were the judge in the land then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give him justice. He begins to overpromise. He begins to say to everybody who comes, man, if I was your king, if I was the one who was in charge, not David, I would do this differently. I would do this better. I would lean in here. I would give you what you really want. 
And people love that message. And so again, their hearts begin to then begin to murmur and they begin to stir like, well, maybe, maybe Absalom would be better than David. And here's the thing. David has no idea that this is happening until he does, which is often too late. In 2007, my father and I had been walking together an intentional journey to transition the senior leadership here of Life Center from him being the senior pastor to me becoming the next lead pastor or senior pastor of Life Center. And during that process, here's what both of us experienced. We experienced people kind of pulling us aside. We experienced people uh, coming and saying to us things like, man, I, I like it when you preach more than when your dad preaches, or I like it when you lead this more than when the way your dad leads this. And then simultaneously, my father had people coming up to him and saying, you know, Pastor Barry, we love it when you preach more than your son preaches, or we like it when you lead more than when your son leads. And you have way more experience than your son, and your son is only in his 30s. He has no way he's ready to lead this. And so quickly, my father and I discovered that there's a different way to lead people. And so together, we came up with not just a phrase, but we came up with a value during transition, which was this. We would say to people all the time when this would happen, uh, independent of each other, we would say to this, you don't have to choose between myself or the fa my father. You don't have to choose. You get us both, okay? In other words, don't play that game. So we both know that those seeds of division in our heart could be damaging in our relationship, in the leadership of Life Center, in the transition of it. And we needed something more than a circumstance. We needed a moment of character to anchor us through the season. People were just being people, but we needed something different. And so the story that we see that we're looking at in 2 Samuel here, the total opposite of that begins to happen. It gets so bad that David and all of those around him have to flee the palace to escape this murderous coup from Absalom. That's a hard word for me to say, by the way, coup, but we did pretty good. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 15 says, And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. Now listen, th this is great but it's to be expected because the king's servants are hedging their bets on David coming out of this ordeal, being the king. And so it's neat to see loyalty in the story, but really the servants, they have a choice, but sort of not really, I should say. Like they're, they're being loyal and hedging their bets with David, but there's this name in the Bible. There's this name in the story who this individual is, is not a servant. This individual may be someone you've ever heard about before, but his name is Ittai, the Gittite, okay? He's not all through scripture. He just has a little part here, but the part that he plays is significant for us to look at. And he does something with great character because this is true of all of us. When the outcome is uncertain, the necessity of character grows even higher. When the outcome is uncertain, the necessity of character grows even higher. Look, anybody can make a clear decision when the outcome is known. When the outcome is certain, it doesn't require a ton of character. But the necessity of character grows when the outcome is uncertain, but when the choice is clear, but it's really, really hard to make. 
you know, in athletics, that could be akin to someone taking the last shot. The outcome is uncertain, and they're either going to be the hero or they're going to be the goat. But they rise to the occasion, and then there are some who don't. You know, in leadership, it can be very similar as well. Having to make a difficult decision that's going to actually receive feedback and difficult things you're going to have to walk through, but you're making the decision when the outcome isn't certain, but you're doing the best you can with what you know at the time and at the season. Why do I say this? Because a character-driven person, and for you and I, we don't want to just have just character. We want to have Christ-like character, but a character-driven person lives by convictions, not by circumstances. We live by something more than what we think, more than what we feel, that we anchor into God's word. We anchor into who Jesus is, and we live by the conviction of Christ, not by the circumstance of culture, not by the circumstances that we think, feel, or desire. We, we feel all those things. We think all those things. We experience those things, but we anchor our character into something different. Now, again, none of us do this perfectly, which is all of us need to grow and have humility, as I said at the beginning. But character-driven people, they don't just live by circumstance, they live by conviction. And this is Itai the Gittite. Because here's what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 19 and 20. It says, then the king said to Itai the Gittite, why do you also go with us? David's saying, I know why the servants are here, I get that. But why are you coming here? He says, go back and stay with the king for you are a foreigner. You're not from this town. You're a foreigner and also an exile from your home. Listen to this. You came only yesterday. What timing does Itai have? He shows up the day before a coup breaks loose. Come on. You only came yesterday. And shall I today make you wander about with us since I go I know not where. David's saying, I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know if I end up as king. I don't know where this goes. So with you following me, you aligning with me, this could be the end of your life. This could be the end of your brother's life. So he says, go back and take your brothers with you. And may the Lord show you steadfast love and faithfulness towards you. So again, David is concerned for the welfare of Ittai the Gittite and his brothers. He's this Ittai, he is free to go home. He's only been in Jerusalem for about a day, it says since yesterday. And so historians argue that there are two plausible reasons why Ittai stays aligned with David, why he makes this decision. And the first is a little backstory on Ittai, dot, 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 the Gittite. Well, Gittites in the scripture are from a place called Gath. Now, if you know anything about the life of David, a light bulb should have gone off there because in David's story, when he was a lot younger, he shows up and there is a Philistine from a place called Gath, where David has this momentous moment in his life and in his character formation in trusting that God is with him as he opposes and defeats a giant by the name of Goliath. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And why does this matter? Why is this significant? Well, some historians argue this, that that defeat, as as David defeats Goliath, that moment had such a profound effect to all the inhabitants of Gath that his story, the story of David lived on later and generation after generation. So long after this day, 
David has trial after trial after trial and Gath begins to rebuild and reform. And there's a man by the name of Ittai and he shows up and he's heard about David. And there's something significant that he knows there's something different about David, that the Lord is with him. Why is that significant for you and for I? Because I want to speak hope to some of you today. Because the impact of today's character-driven decision won't show up until a future tomorrow. Don't look for a reward today for doing the right thing. Don't look for maybe a pat on the back or gratification for making a hard call or a character-driven call in this season. But in this story, the character-driven decision that David makes so many years previous Historians argue that it had such an effect on the individuals, the men of Gath, that that story resounded and maybe had an influencing reality on why Ittai stuck with David in this moment. So again, for some of you today, you may be making character decisions for your business, character decisions for your family, standing up for what's right, standing up for what's good. And there's no pat on the back. There's pain. There's all of those things. When we make character decisions, sometimes we have to trust and let God sort it out in a future time. Trust it to God in a moment. So again, just because you're not rewarded now doesn't mean it won't have an effect in the future. Sometimes we just need a little bit of time between when the call is made to how people respect and see it later. History is full of examples like this. You know, David, in this story that we're telling, finds himself in another battle, not like the one with Goliath, but this one is more painful because that was with an enemy combatant, but this one is with his own son, and this one is very close to his heart. The outcome is just as uncertain for David as it was with Goliath as now it is with Absalom, but the pain, as you can imagine, is much, much greater. The scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 21 to 22, But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives, and as my Lord the king lives, wherever the Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. That's what Ittai says to David. And David says to Ittai, Go then and pass on. And it says, So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and the little ones who were with him. And so perhaps it was the story of David way in the past that influenced Ittai, Ittai. Or perhaps it's simply this. Perhaps it's not that complicated for Ittai. Perhaps it is simply and profoundly this. He's not concerned on this day about who might be king. He is simply concerned about who is king today. Perhaps Ittai is simply a man of character that, yes, one day it might be Absalom, but it isn't this day. And I am called to do what is right on this day, not hedge my bets for a future day. You know, there's no such way. There's, there's no right way to do the wrong thing. And perhaps for Ittai, it is not more complicated than that. Now, the stakes couldn't be higher. If Absalom prevails, then choosing David's side could mean death. But I love how the scripture says, for Ittai, that doesn't seem to matter. He says this. Here's what, he's, here's what Ittai says. As the Lord lives, 
capital L-O-R-D. So now he's speaking to God. So as the Lord lives, and then he says, as my Lord, small case, L-O-R-D. That's David. So Ittai is simply saying, this isn't my call. This is a God thing that's happening. So as the Lord lives, and then as you live, I'm going to do what is right. You are king today because of what God's decided. So my character isn't going to hedge my bets. I'm not going to live by circumstance. I'm going to do what's right, even if it means death, even if it means penalty, even if it means that I don't win, even if it means I don't succeed. I can't control that. But what I can control is there's no, there is absolutely no right way, David, to do the wrong thing in this moment. Ittai the Gittite is a man of character because Christ-like character is formed in us through submission to an ultimate authority that is higher than compassion, that's higher than circumstances, that's higher than culture. And that's why together as we're looking at this value, it's not just any type of character, it is Christ-like character. The written word of God reveals the living word of God, who is Christ. It is this whole thing of intimacy with God before ink that we don't worship. We don't worship words. We worship the living Christ, who we we read the word, we see Jesus revealed. So you and I, as individuals, we want to anchor our character, our imperfect, our broken, our messy character. We want to anchor it in something that's greater than compassion, something that's greater than circumstance, and something that's greater than what our culture says. We want to anchor it in someone who is true all the time, and that is Jesus. That is Christ the Lord. So now you might be saying, you might be asking, well, how does the story end? Does Absalom or does David prevail? Does, did Ittai the Gittite, did he make the right decision? Well, That's 2 Samuel chapter 18, and you're welcome to read it. But for me, it it misses the point because the heart of what we're driving at today is character, is learning how to make the right call, the right call when the outcome is uncertain. So if you need to know the end of the story, 2 Samuel chapter 18, you can read it. You know, I want you to think about your life and your character right now. There's an old quote that goes like this. I don't know who it's attributed to. It's been attributed to so many different people. I don't know who originally said it. I didn't originally say it, but this is what it says. It says, the person who asks is a fool for five minutes, but the person who does not ask remains a fool forever. None of us, as I've said a few times this today, this morning, today, none of us have perfect character. Every one of us need to have humility to grow, to be like Christ. And all of us live too close to our lives to sometimes see our blind spots. May we not be fools or foolish. May we not live in pride, thinking we have everything figured out. May we not be like Absalom, who takes position to do improper things for selfish motive and agenda. May we have the courage to allow God's word to convict our heart, to transform our lives. May we have the courage to trust people who are trustworthy and wise and ask them to speak into our lives and speak to our character that don't just pat us on the back, but help lovingly grow us and guide us. Because again, when the outcome is uncertain, the necessity of character grows even higher. 
And so questions, do you live your life by circumstances or do you live it by character? And what does uncertainty reveal about your character that the Holy Spirit may want to heal? Maybe you are living for a reward on this side of eternity, but perhaps making a hard call or a character-based call, maybe it's not living for the applause of today, but for the well done one day for tomorrow. If you're here watching wherever you are and you don't know Jesus, here's what I want you to know. When the outcome was uncertain, Jesus loves you and Jesus died for you. Before you and I accepted him or even opened our heart, he still died for us. So if you're watching today, you've never given your life to Christ. I want you to know that you are loved by the God of this world, that you are literally one open heart moment of embracing who Jesus is away from moving from an outcome that is uncertain to an outcome that can never be stolen because of the work of Christ, the salvation of Christ, the grace of God that you need in your heart and in your life. And so today, would you open your heart to God's gift of grace? Would you move from a place again of an outcome that is uncertain to one that is absolutely solidified in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ? Because he doesn't just love you a little. He loves you a whole lot. No matter what your character reveals, where it's good or where it's bad, where it is healthy or where it's unhealthy. The reality is while we were sinners, Christ loves us and he dies for us. And so Christians, as you've probably seen on a bumper sticker somewhere, we aren't perfect, just forgiven. But that isn't an excuse for us who are followers of Jesus. It is not an excuse for us to stay immature, but to lean in every week, every day, to growing little by little or leap by leap to be more like Jesus. And so church, let's allow God's word to speak to our hearts and to grow our character in this season. Mm -hmm.